It's interesting that tonight we're going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth. Especially in light of yesterday's shooting. Yesterday's shooting uh, is the effect of a fallen humanity in a fallen world, in a sinful place. We live in a sinful world, in a sinful time, where sin prevails, creation groans. But as Christians, we believe we're looking forward to not just, not just heaven. A lot of times Christians will think, well, when, when you die, if you're a Christian, you die and you go to heaven. And that's it. Well, that's not it. That, that, that is what happens. But that's not the only thing that happens. And that's not the end of the story. I think Mike probably covered some of that uh, a couple of weeks ago. So tonight I hope for us to, um, to think through the new heaven and the new earth and look at it from a biblical perspective. What I'd like to do, I mean, we're going to talk tonight about uh, creation, the fall, redemption, consummation. Those four, those four things are what the Bible is about. Creation, God created everything. The fall, men and women fell into sin, Adam and Eve. Redemption, Jesus came, lived perfectly, died on the cross, purchased people. So, and then after salvation, we have then, um, you have consummation, which is the new heaven and the new earth. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to spend most of our time in the first book and the last book. Right, so you got creation in Genesis, you've got the fall in the 64 books in between, and then you've got redemption and consummation in Revelation. So we're going to spend most of our time Genesis and Revelation, some in Isaiah, but mostly in the two outside books of the Bible. So let's pray together, and, uh, and then we'll get started. Let's pray especially for the families tonight. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus for hurting families, especially those two families that lost a child unexpectedly at a place where they thought they were safe. Your word promises that you are close to the brokenhearted. There are hearts that are shattered even tonight. We pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you might be close. We pray that you would send Christian people to minister. We pray that through your common grace of emotion and specific grace of the gospel that you would minister to these families. We thank you for those that responded so quickly. We thank you for our police officers and firemen. We thank you for the emergency personnel, for nurses that work so hard and doctors. Thank you for those that are, are touching and, and healing through what you've given us, wounds. We pray for those that woke up this morning with emotional scars, emotional wounds. We ask that by your spirit you would bring healing. We pray for those that are hurt in ways that we can't see and won't know and yet carry such a burden. We pray that you would give them, Christian people, to talk through some of the pain. We pray for justice. We thank you that you've given us law and order, and we pray that that would not only be restraining, but would move forward in a just way. We pray for mercy. 
We pray that you give us hearts of repentance, not only to mourn over our sin, but to, but to seek ways to change, to, to walk toward the goodness and the holiness of God, to not just be sorry for our sin, but to, to find ways to change. And fathers, we live on this earth and look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. We pray that you'd give us guidance tonight and you're honored with our conversation that Jesus is lifted high as we think of the hope we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's get started tonight. Let me uh, call your attention to, <clears throat> to the handout. You'll notice the summary. I try to always start with the summary. And I think I have 10. Do I have 10 things tonight? Anybody look at it already? There are 10. Also, look at all that Bible there. Yeah, y'all feeling good about that? Yeah, my assistant, Jeannie, was like, do you want to put that much Bible? I said, oh, yeah, put it in there, Jeannie. Those people need all the Bible you can give them. Put it in there. Here's the summary of a new heaven and a new earth. The new heaven and the new earth, earth is the final and eternal state of the universe resulting from the renewal of the current fallen creation for the glory of God. There's a whole lot in that sentence. The new heaven and the new earth, is the final and eternal state of the universe resulting from the renewal, brand new, of the current fallen creation, and that happens for the glory of God. So let's go through creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Let's do it quickly. The first one you'll find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 is creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first thing right out of the gate, we believe uh, that the world is created out of nothing, out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilio is sort of the Latin. It is, we believe that God spoke it and it happened. It was by fiat. It's like uh, when, when, when Jesus called out to Lazarus, Lazarus got up by the power of the voice, right? We believe that God spoke and all of creation we see was given and that it is good. And this idea of creation is the prevailing thought that has been a part of Western civilization and Eastern civilization from the very beginning. And this was the prevailing thought all the way up until the 1850s when a man named what? Anybody guess? Charles Darwin, who started out in the church, had the theory of evolution, and it the theory of evolution, it was the spearhead that shattered this idea of God creating the heavens and the earth, and it is largely responsible for the secular society in most of Europe and uh, the United States. I'm reading a book right now on the history of, it's a one-volume book on the history of, of uh, Great Britain, and it's fascinating, and I just read that last night. Uh, how, what kind of impact that immediately had on those that used to believe in creation. We believe that God created everything, and not only that, we believe in, in uh, the second point, is that there, there is goodness in his creation. We forget that sometimes because we live in a fallen world. We, live that God's, we forget that God's creation is good. So in that same chapter, Genesis chapter 1, by the way, you don't have to look on your sheet to find the verses. I'm just going to walk through a couple of chapters in the beginning of Genesis, then I'm going to go to the very end of Revelation uh, you can see it there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. The Bible says that God saw that everything that he had made was good, and behold, it was good. 
there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. So this is the day before the Sabbath, right before the rest, right before giving us the pattern that's supposed to be for mankind, the pattern of six days of work, then a Sabbath, the pattern of what would be the Jewish idea of day of worship and rest. We talked about that one Sunday, I think, when I talked about uh, the resurrection of Jesus, how Jesus uh, not only fulfilled the law, kept the Sabbath. Um, that's why we go to church on Sunday and not Saturday. God raised him from the dead on Sunday because all of the law, including the Sabbatarian laws, were kept by Jesus. So we don't have to keep those. They become patterns for us, but not laws. Jesus raised from the dead on a Sunday, and this text says that everything was good. So before the fall, there's no curse. A snake comes across the grass in your yard. Before the fall, you're glad to see that snake. You're so happy to see that snake, and the snake's happy to see you. When you're cutting the grass and you run across a yellow jacket's nest, the yellow jackets, before the fall, didn't come out to sting you. They just came out and probably kissed you. Right? I mean, there's no, no bad thing. Everything's good. In fact, you, in the third point is creation was beautiful and harmonious. Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to read that to you. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant, look, look pleasant to the sight, and good for food. So it wasn't just tasting good. It, it's nice to look at. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil. So creation is beautiful. It's harmonious. In fact, if you have your Bible open, you can just keep looking in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 10 and 11. You know, the font in my Bible just keeps getting smaller. <laughs> I got some of those glasses. You know how they train. I mean, they, they change back and forth. Look at verse 10 and 11. The river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. There it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was Pishon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, uh, where there's gold. And then verse 12, the gold of that land is good. Delum and onyx stone are there. So, I mean, you just keep reading. It's just a paradise, right? It's a wonderful place. So God's creation is good. Everything is going well. It, it, and we hear and feel echoes of that. You know, sometimes in the morning, if you get up and, and, and if you're standing at the kitchen sink in my house, you, it looks toward uh, the east, and you can see the changing colors of the clouds as the sun's coming up, and so we hear and feel some of the echoes of God's good creation around us. You go to the country or to the beach or the mountains, you can see it. And we, we love that because it's good. Right? He created us to, to love those things. In fact, I'll give you the fourth one. <clears throat> At creation, even work was good. That's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, that you, that you, your work is like a vacation. You can't wait to go to work. You love it so much. 
Your boss is always nice. He's paying you so well. I mean, work right now, it, 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 for people, it's tiresome. It's, uh, it's pressure. It's stressful. Or maybe yours is boring. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, look, look, at, look how good work was. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So he's in the perfect place, the perfect temperature. Loves to be there, never gets tired. That's something else. So, so all of this, so you got the picture. It, it's good to read through chapter 2 and get how good it was. But then we have, I'll give you the fifth thing. Um, you have the cataclysmic fall into sin. So here's the fall. If you hear people talk about, in Christianity, uh, the fall of man, the fall of man is Adam and Eve choosing to sin. It happens in Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> I give you the first three verses. I just want to, if I can, just read the passage for you. Did I spell that word cataclysmic right? Anybody know? Yeah. Do you really know that feel or you just see it? Okay. Did you check it or something? You probably checked it, didn't you? Let me read it to you. <clears throat> now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So you keep reading and the serpent keeps talking. I'll just read it to you. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, there's a lot that could be said about what happened just there. Uh, we're all kind of tempted to talk about that. I would love to talk about it. Um, but yeah, so they're both culpable, man and the woman. Eve gave Adam, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, they hid themselves, because that's what you do when you're in sin from the presence of God. They hid themselves, but the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? So Adam starts to confess now, but it's not much of a confession. Uh, confession. I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid. I was naked. I hid myself. Who told you you were naked? Have you done what I told you not to do? And the man said, The woman, right? This is how it goes. The woman, not just the woman, whom you gave me. She's the one that gave me the fruit. And look at the woman. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, wait, the serpent deceived me. Everybody's pointing downward, right? 
So here is the moment. Humanity goes into sin. But it's not just humanity, right? You're going to read it. It is everybody. You're going to hear for, for the first time, God is not any longer saying, creating it, and it's good, it's good, it's good. Now it's curse. It's a terrible passage. Chapter, Genesis chapter 3 is a terrible thing. You'll see the cursing in verse 14 of chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you'll see it there. Uh, but I want to call your attention to the sixth thing. And let's just, let's just talk about the consequences of the fall to creation. The first one I'm going to point out is a positive one. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is the very first gospel. Genesis 3, verse 15 is the very first gospel in the Bible. If you're new to reading the Bible, you get to Genesis 3, 15, you think, I'm going to have to go through all of the Old Testament again something new. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right there is the very first picture of the gospel. Let me read it to you. The Lord says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring, the serpent's, and her offspring, here's the promise. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Seed of the woman, which is Jesus, will stomp the serpent's head, while there will be a bruising of the seed of the woman's heel. Y'all get that? So, Satan... And sin defeated at the cross. The very first promise. So, there's the good news. Let's look at all the bad news, because there's plenty of it here. <clears throat> first thing I want to point out is the pain of parenting. What happens when sin comes in? It's the pain of being a parent. How many of you here are parents? Raise your hand. How many of you here have parents? Raise your hand. Okay. <clears throat> There's some of you who didn't raise your hand. I just want you to. <laughs> Let's talk about the pain of parenting. To the woman, listen to what the Lord has said. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, I think probably physically, uh, any of you that are mothers here could, could possibly testify to the fact that there is pain involved. Amen. Amen. And I appreciate you not going into detail and putting all the details on Facebook. <laughs> Sometimes you mothers are doing that and putting the pictures on Facebook. I, we need to give it a few days, let the baby cure a little bit, and we'll look at the, <laughs> look at the pictures, right? But, but not just delivering a child in, in childbirth, but if you're a parent and you've got a child, that having that baby and the pain there is just the beginning of the pain you're going to have. Right? And the older they get, the more pain they are able to cause. Uh, it's, it's much better when they're four to step on a Lego and have that pain as opposed to what they can do at 18 and 25 and 30. And this is, a, this is a result of the fall. 
So it wasn't just we're estranged from God. One of the things that happened at the fall is that it puts this weird thing in the middle of our relationships. One of the closest is our children. There's, there's pain in being a parent. One of the fundamental foundational organizations, the very first organization God put together was marriage in Genesis, man and woman. Uh, what God has brought together, let no man put us under. Jesus said that man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So the very first thing God brought together by way of a foundation for society is marriage. And in that marriage, having a child, it, there's pain. It's part of the fall. Part of the human experience of living in a fallen world. And if you have a child, you, can, you, you know this to be true. But there's other pain here. What is another consequence of another consequence of the fall? It's pain in relationships, and more specifically, uh, in in marriage. In fact, let me read it to you. It's in verse sixteen, right? Chapter three, verse sixteen. To the woman, he said, "I shall surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yours." Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. So what you want to do, he don't want to do it. And add to it, I'm going to say, he shall rule over you. Now listen to that mix of trouble right there. Why is there not harmony at home? It's because of the fall, right? Sin has got us here. And that, that doesn't mean we're not guilty. We certainly are guilty. It's our fault. But, but, but a consequence of the fall is the, the difficulty in, in parenting, the difficulty in, in moms and dads being together. The, and here's the foundational unit of all society is a man and a woman in marriage. And the very first thing God says is one of the consequences of the fall is that relationship. A relationship ordained by God. There's more to it. Another, um, another consequence is the curse, on, the curse on creation. I mean, you find that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 19. Look what uh, the text says. 17, uh, 18 and 19. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, <laughs> this is the only time you're, you're told not to listen to your wife. Every other time, listen to her, right? Because you listened to the voice of your wife, which Adam didn't stand a chance. There's no chance, right? There's a naked woman standing there offering him food. What's Adam going to do? Right? And didn't stand a chance. Adam said, because you, uh, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Look, here's... Look what's guilty. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. How terrible is that? The creation is not what it's supposed to be. I mean, we're created to work. We are supposed to do things. You, you should work. It is a good and right thing to do. 
part of being Protestant work ethic. We believe in work. It is a, it, a laziness is a sin before the Lord. We, we do all of that, right? But it's not supposed to be this hard. Part, part of the curse is not just our uh, being disjointed from one another, separated from God. Part of the curse we live in is that, that, is that this ground, although good, this creation, although good, God's creation is good, it is cursed. So that thorns, curse, poison ivy, part of the curse. Right? Turnip greens, curse. Right? I mean, there's things that are part of the curse. I may be over the top on that, but, but you get the point, right? And so it's important that we see this, and then when we die, we return back to the ground. I, I think this also has implications for how we as Christians uh, approach funerals, what that looks like. It, um, burying people is a distinctly Christian thing to do, uh, especially with an understanding of resurrection, uh, that this is not the end. So it's the curse of creation, the ground. And we experience the curse firsthand. I mean, um, Paul writes about this. In fact, I'd like to show it to you. Uh, did I put that Romans? Oh, I did, didn't I? Okay. Look how good that was. All right. Listen to Romans chapter 8. You know, I'm preaching through Romans. It's going to be in Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 this Sunday. Uh, there are attributes of God there in verse 4, and it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not that God strikes people and puts them on the bottom that's going to lead to repentance. It is, the, it is the goodness and, and gifts, the good things that God does that makes us want to, to know Him. So I'm going to preach about that Sunday. But Romans chapter 8 speaks of creation. Listen to what Paul writes. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So the sufferings we're living in, glory that will be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, until now, groaning. This is the verse I thought of yesterday. When, when that one college boy went in and shot those other college kids. And I think he said something like, and I just went in there and shot them. And that's, that's groaning. It's when, when you see a car wreck and it's a fatal car wreck and creation groans. When the tornadoes come down through Tornado Alley across Texas and into Alabama and Louisiana, creation groans. When, when hurricanes, we're living on the Gulf in, in Danimobile, and we lived there like four hurricanes came. I think since we've left, there haven't been any. Uh, people are like, please don't come back to the Gulf. Uh, and we were there when Katrina came through, and it's just, it's creation groaning. Things decay, creation groaning. I'm um, training for this little, little race I'm going to do in the Grand Canyon, and I went from a run our house and came out of Mint Hill and, and ended up running across Albemarle Road and by the church here, and, 
and down over to Central and up again on Albemarle Road, and you can see uh, the suffering, just people close by, right? Creation groans. And it's a, it's a condition of... We, we ex, you experience it firsthand. If, if you've had a sickness, a terminal illness, creation groaning is part of the fall. We, we're not designed... For that to happen, sin has caused this. It's a product of it. Sometimes it is a hard providence we live in. Sometimes it's a smiling providence. Yesterday when the call came, when those kids were shot at UNCC, my college student was happened to be in a car with me. Which was a smiling providence. In fact, he said something. I'm not accustomed to him saying theological things. Uh, it was refreshing. He said, you know, if, if I, I were looking for a car, because he totaled his. Friday. He's fine. Nobody's hurt, but the car's, you know, gone. So he totaled his car, and we're looking for another car for him. And uh, he said, you know, Dad, if I uh, hadn't totaled my car, well, I'd be right there in that building. Which I appreciate him finding some provident, providential. So here we are in creation groaning. It is a, what we experience, but there are promises. And let's look at the promises. God promises restoration and reversal. The Bible teaches that God is going not, on, not only to restore, there's restoration and reversal. Let me call your attention to Isaiah. I'm reading through the Reader's Bible now, my devotional life. I'm in Ezekiel. I just this morning went to the passage, Ezekiel 37, you know, the Valley of Dry Bones, a very favorite passage probably to preach in the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah 65. Listen to the prompt. I'll just give you a couple of them. Look at verse 17. This is, this is the Lord speaking before Jesus came. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people no more. Listen to this condition. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping, the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives only a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days for the young man shall die a hundred years old. He'll be young at a hundred. And the sinner, a hundred years old, shall be accursed. Jump over with me to verse 24. See if you can come down to verse 24. Before they call. This is what it's going to be like in the new, the new heaven and the new earth. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I'll hear it. The wolf and the lamb, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and not people. I added that so you can understand it. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, says the Lord. So there's the promise of restoration and reversal. And if you read it and you take Isaiah 65 and you then superimpose it over on Genesis chapter 3 when you read the curse, what you'll find there 
is the new heaven and the new earth becomes a reversal of the original curse. So we have the curse of creation from the fall, and then Isaiah is promising there is a reversal. He's taking that curse, turning it over. Okay. But before that happens, the old heaven and earth must be destroyed. With me so far? Let's go to apocalyptic language in 2 Peter. 2 Peter. It's in the New Testament, all the way back, into sort of the Baptist fan. Look for it. 2 Peter chapter 3. I've got it there for you, but I just want to show you. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse 7. It's good to read the whole chapter, find it in its context. But let's talk about the destruction of the earth, heaven and earth as we know it now. Okay. I'll start in verse 7. He was talking about, I'll just give you context. In 2 Peter 3, Peter's talking about how the world was destroyed by flood. It now will be different. It was flood the first time, second time is, is fire. Watch. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. By the way, we're going to talk about this Sunday. Why is God kind? Why is He put up with our sins? Because His desire is He's holding back wrath so that people without Christ will turn and get saved. Not willing that any would perish, but that all should um, reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So, before the new heaven and the new earth, what we know as heaven and earth will be destroyed. You see it, see it again in Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Yeah. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Let me, let me just read uh, uh, two verses to you. Here's the end. Okay, so second coming of Jesus. Jesus comes to the earth. Thousand year reign. Jesus reigns for a thousand years with believers. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is let loose and battled and then destroyed, lake of fire, final judgment in, in Revelation chapter 20, before the great white throne, and then after that judgment, verse 11, Revelation 20, not after, right before the judgment. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from, look, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. So the earth and heaven as we know it, gone. Okay. So new heaven and new earth. Do you, do you have point number 10 there? Did I give you 10? Okay. Point uh, number 10 is the new heaven and the new earth follow second coming, the millennium, Judgment, 
you start in verse uh, where I started there, and I'll just start. Um, do you have Revelation 20? Do you have 20 or 21? Don't look at it yet. Getting ahead of the game there. So you understand that what has to happen for the new heaven and new earth to happen, they follow second coming of Jesus, thousand-year reign, final judgment, and now. Now. Chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I got them here. I didn't give it to you. If you want, to, if you want these, you can write on the back, on the back page, the, the blank page. I'm going to give you, there are 12 sure promises in Revelation chapter 21. We read Revelation 21, new heaven and new earth. There are 12 not conditional promises. Revelation 21 and part of 22 gives us 12 genuine promises that are not related, are, are not built on some other condition. This is going to happen. Here's the first one. First promise is God makes a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. You see that right there in verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. Verse 2, and a new holy city, Jerusalem. Right now for us, Place is not important. Only the place is not holy, right? In the new heaven and new earth, place will be holy because God is with us. Okay, second promise. Chaos and disorder are no more in the new heaven and the new earth. You see, when we hear at the consummation, we are not disembodied spirits with angel wings that are going to be somehow in the clouds spending uh, all eternity just up in heaven. No, we will have resurrection bodies and live on earth. It is a new heaven and a new earth, but that's where we'll be. Okay. Chaos and disorder no more. Verse 1 tells us why, because there's a new heaven and a new earth. Here's a third promise. God will live with his people personally. That is, a, that is a beautiful promise. Those that are in Christ, God will live with his people. You see it in verse 3? I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is where all of this book has been headed. I, I'm in the middle of, of the prophets right now, reading through uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And it, it sometimes feels odd when I'm reading it, but every time there's a prophecy, the Lord says, I'm doing this so they'll know that I am God. All these things happen so they'll know. In the new heaven and the new earth, God is dwelling. He doesn't have to give prophecies because it's being fulfilled. New heaven and the new earth. I know him personally. 
I'm going to give the fourth promise. The effects of sin are done away with. The effects of sin. Do you see uh, verse 4 of Revelation 21? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. There will be no crying. There's no pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Do you, I mean, do you just don't want to thank the Lord for that right there? Right? There won't, so there won't be, there's no battling with depression. There's no stress. There's, uh, there's no need to weep. There's no more brokenheartedness. Mike Power's oldest daughter, Lily, um, she, she asked, uh, she told her mother that when she, she said, when I get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to pinch myself to see if it hurts. I thought that was pretty smart. I mean, conceptually, she's a young girl. Thinking about the fact that this not, I mean, I mean, there's a promise. Okay. The, just the effects of sin. I mean, it's not just that we don't sin anymore. It's, it's the long-term effects. Well, you get the point. Here's the sixth thing. Our inheritance of heavenly blessings will be plentiful and permanent. Look at our inheritance. It's, a, it's a verse 7, chapter 21, verse 7. Our inheritance will be plentiful and permanent. Verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Also, in that one verse, verse 8, notice who doesn't get into heaven. Let me just tell you who doesn't get into heaven. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and... All the liars, they don't get in heaven. Their position will be with the, uh, with the lake of fire, which is the second death. Here's the seventh one. The splendor, the splendor of the new Jerusalem will be magnificent. Let me call your attention to verse 9. We'll go to Israel. We're going to see Jerusalem. It is really beautiful to see. Um, it certainly has changed over uh, the 2,500, 3,000 years even longer, the people have actually been living there. Um, and it's, it's remarkable for a Christian to get to see it. There are beautiful things to see. It, it pales in comparison to what's described here. Listen to, uh, what verse did I say? Verse 9. Let me start in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as a crystal. It had a great high wall, 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates their names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. East three gates, the north three gates, south three gates, the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So now you've got the Old and New Testament come together. And, and then you see how he's measured it out. And if it's literal, I won't read the whole thing, but if it's literal, it's like 1,400 miles. But probably it's figuratively saying the, the 
place where God will dwell with his people in the new Jerusalem, on the new heaven and new earth, is immeasurable and beautiful. I mean, you can read it for yourself. And you'll see that in verse 20, 22 and 23 that the glory of the Lord will, will permeate the dwelling place that we will be in and where we will live in, on the new earth. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now let me pause there. Y'all know that song uh, you, you have people sing sometimes in church where uh, the guy goes to heaven, and he's up in heaven, and he's looking for Jesus? I want to see Jesus. He talks to Paul and Timothy and Barnabas. And, yeah. That's a theologically incorrect song. It's emotionally moving because I want to see Jesus. Truth of the matter is, if you read that correctly, there is this brilliance. There's no need for the sun. You know how bright the sun is? We don't need the sun because of the glory of the Lord Jesus, right? Okay. Um, let me give you something else. Nations will be guided by God. All of the nations will be there. You'll see that in verse 24 of uh, chapter 21. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So we will be living different nations, the new heaven and the new earth. Um, let me give you a, a tenth. Nine? Okay, I don't know. I'm just saying these. What, did I just say that the glory of the Lord will permeate our dwelling place? That was eight. Number nine, the nations will be guided by God. Oh, boy. Okay, then here's number nine. I'll give you 11 things. Here's number nine. Peace is perfectly present. You see verse 25? The gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. I'll give you something else. In the new heaven and the new earth, um, number 10, productivity. You don't think about this in heaven, but productivity will be bountiful, breathtaking. Let me show it to you. In, I don't have it on your page, but in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I mean, you just keep reading this on the new heaven and new earth. This is where you have the streets of gold and the gates and the new Jerusalem and the new earth. It's a beautiful picture. I'll give you one last thing. Revelation 22, 3. This perpetual, perfect serving of the Lord is our calling. So, so it's not just us going to be up in heaven for all of eternity not doing anything. You have creation, fall, redemption. While we await on consummation, we go to heaven. 
return of Jesus Christ, thousand-year reign. After the thousand-year reign is the judgment. Once the judgment is completed, lake of fire, new heaven and new earth to sin, and we live forever in a new earth. Verse 3, let me read it to you. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What a great way to finish out studying the goodness of our God and the consummation of the age, the new heaven and the new earth. We have so much to look forward to. And I would say you read this and read it as a hope for you in a world as we wait on the return of the Lord Jesus. Join me as we pray. Father, we thank you for the promises we have in the Bible. I pray that by your Spirit you apply it to hearts of people that just need a word of encouragement. As we wait on the coming of the Lord Jesus, we are in creation that groans, although good at your hand, cursed because of sin. We need you to help us, Lord, to be salt and light. We need you to help us to speak the gospel clearly. We need you to give us courage to open up our mouths to speak with fluency the gospel into a world that needs to hear that there is hope. We thank you that you give us hope. We live our lives in the hope and of the coming of the Lord Jesus. We pray that you wake us up tomorrow morning and enough time to spend time in your word and then bring us here on the Lord's Day Sunday to gather with our family, the family of God, bought by the blood of Jesus. Be honored in our lives now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. You're dismissed.